Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to cars.com. It's magical. Finsider Radio, the Jake and Josh Show, is SB Nation's official podcast about your Miami Dolphins. Check out Finsider.com for more Miami Dolphins content and be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Keep up with us on Twitter. Jake can be found at jmendel94. Josh can be found at H-O-U-T-Z or just house. The show is made possible by Dolphins everywhere, so be sure to rate and comment, share your thoughts, and let us know how we are doing. Now, let's get on with the show. It's hump day, everyone, and you know what that means. Welcome into a brand new episode of SB Nation's official Miami Dolphins podcast, Binsider Radio, The Jake and Josh Show. But before we dive headfirst into the latest news surrounding your Miami Dolphins and their quarterback, Tua Tagovailoa, let me introduce you to my co-host, Jake Mendel. How are you doing today, man? Josh, you can certainly tell that it's fall here. I'm wearing a sweatshirt. It's miserably cold, and it's the annoying cold where you wake up in the morning and you're miserable, but then mid-afternoon, you're throwing your shorts back on and then at night you're miserable so it's kind of like watching a dolphins game oh it's exactly like that i mean i literally <laughs> decide like i fight all day long should i turn the air on should i not and then at the end of the day i'm like this sucks i'm so hot turn the air on why did i do this yeah and then it gets cold right away it, it really is you know the curse of the northeast yeah josh so we were gonna do a show yesterday but uh we're we're busy people humble i'll brag take the blame of, for that you having yeah. you having a couple of kids uh, i mean it's hard to do. I mean, we do three shows a week. I think that's still pretty baller. I'm, you know, tooting our own horn here. And we're going to talk about the Raiders. Uh, we're going to talk about a world without Tua. Uh, but Josh, I just saw this news. And I mean, it's it's not the worst thing in the world. And I think after Monday's show, I'm not going to try to be as negative. Obviously, I'm going to kind of try to stick to that line of uh, there's some things we need to really be aware about when we're talking about this team. But Josh, first and foremost, I mean, Go figure. Will Fuller missing practice on uh, Wednesday. Uh, it's probably something to do with that knee injury that he suffered late in overtime. Uh, I don't want to say anything for sure, though, because you never really know. Uh, Laramie Tunstall missed the game for falling in the bathtub. So I, I'm not going to throw anything out there, but I mean, it just seems like we're at a point where, all right, what's going to happen next? Who, who's What's going to be the next disaster we're cleaning up? Who's going to drop the uh, chili on the floor next? I love that. Who's going to drop the chili on the floor? Great reference. But I mean, it just sucks because we saw what this offense looked like with him out there. I mean, you saw him getting him some targets. I joked it's probably because he had to uh, give that defensive back a piggyback ride into the end zone. But <laughs> all jokes aside, when you pay a guy $10 million, you know, for that one season, a guy, you know, he's missed camp. You can't really fall on that for the personal issues. But the fact that he finally got out there on the field, you know, again, showed some promise. And now he's already hurt. It just feels like the same old Dolphins, same old Will Fuller, to be honest. Yeah, Josh, you're 100% right, but that's it. Uh, let's go into some quick things about the Raiders because there were some comments on the Finsider, and I completely agree with, with the point they're trying to make. The idea of the Dolphins didn't necessarily collapse uh, in Sunday's game, but I, I kind of I, I see where it was a close game, but I think we both can say we had a feeling 
uh, that even Brian Flores had a feeling he didn't want to win that game. You think about that fourth and two in overtime, but, but that's it for the negatives. Let's talk about some of the positives because it wasn't as ugly as the Buffalo game. Hell, I, we were talking about the positives in a 35, nothing loss to Buffalo. So Josh, give me, give me your first final thought here, because I think this is a pretty interesting one, especially when we consider free agents and a lot of the roster moves the Dolphins have made over the last couple of seasons. Yeah, Jake, one of the big things I know we want to break into the All-22 that only got released earlier today, so I didn't really get to go back and watch the coaches' tape. But the biggest thing to me that stood out was the way Byron Jones, you know, the way he played against Darren Waller. Mm -hmm. We were talking all week long, we speculated who was going to cover the Las Vegas Raiders star tight end, and, you know, it wasn't maybe an X. It wasn't so much Eric Rowe, although he did at times. It was Byron Jones. He was tasked with that challenge, and he played pretty well. Travis Wingfield tweeted out, the Miami Dolphins official beat writer said, uh, thought we really saw what makes Byron Jones special yesterday. Darren Waller had his lowest yardage output since week 11 last season. PFF had Jones on Waller most of the game, and the all-pro tight end had three, caught three of five targets for 39 yards. I looked up playerprofiler.com. His numbers on the year, he allowed nine receptions on 19 targets for only 117 yards. So I guess Byron Jones really isn't getting the credit he deserves. And I think what I wanted to know, Jake, from you, uh, Joe Shaw threw this out there and it, he asked, you know, who is the Dolphins second best player on the roster? And he had Byron Jones, Mike Kosicki. The list went on and on. To me, I, I do think it's Byron Jones. And I think, you know, with the way he's played throughout these first three weeks, we're starting to see a guy that's comfortable in this system. And we're starting to see the reason why the Miami Dolphins paid so much money last offseason. I think having these conversations are so interesting uh, because right away, we know who the Dolphins best player is. And Josh, I want to ask you, with the Dolphins being one and two, is it concerning that we don't specifically point to someone and know they're the second play best player on the team? I completely agree with you. I think Byron Jones, you can make an argument. I think Zach Sealer, you're going to make an argument. Gasecki, uh, I just don't think he's really gotten the targets. Uh, maybe the talent is there, but if it's not producing, it's not producing. We can't really sit here and say, well, if, if, if we need to kind of use what we've seen, we know Xavier Howard is that number one. And Josh, I think if Byron Jones continues to have a season like he's having, I think he could be that number two. Uh, who, who do you have as that number two spot? Because I, th I think Sealer is that underdog who, as the season goes on, we're just going to hear his name more and more. But but generally speaking, I wish we could definitively say, like, Miami's top two or three players, we know exactly who they are. Yeah, Jake, I absolutely love that you brought up Zach Sealer. I mean, any chance I get, I'm throwing out, you know, most underrated player in the world. I just, I mean, this is a guy that I just can't believe how well he's come along under this system. But I brought up Broshad. Bro I brought up Joe Shad's uh, uh, pull here, and he had Byron Jones. Yeah, I'm going to call that. I'm going to start calling You better tweet at him, sure. call him that. Yeah, yo, Broshad, thanks for the content. And, and he has Byron Jones, Mike Kosicki, Emmanuel Agba, and then he also had Devontae Parker and Will Fuller. And, you know, I love that you said Sealer. I, I was leaning towards Byron Jones, but, you know, it's hard not to sit here and say Emmanuel Agba. I mean, you see him getting those pressures consistently we see you know how different this defensive line is with him out of lineup you can make an argument there but the most alarming thing here is Mike Kosicki Amanda Agba both those guys need new deals so even if you're you know throwing them up there into contention as that number two player on the Dolphins you better find a way to lock them up because you know then you're not having this conversation then it's just Byron Jones and Xavier Howard and a bunch of you know good players yes. that yeah a bunch of good players we'll leave it at that Josh, what I wanted to talk to you about is the interesting development of the leaks we've seen from the Miami Dolphins recently, especially with Tua being out, uh, because it seems like we're in an awkward spot where uh, the Dolphins kind of seem a little helpless at that quarterback position, and they're not making matters any better. Uh, Brian Flores, there was a report that came out that he wanted Justin Herbert and he was overruled. We know the Stephen Ross things and he was overruled. So Josh, where you hear these things and you think about Chris Greer being the most tenured guy in that front office, 
is there a shade going on? Are these just rumors? Are these trying to kick out Chris Greer's knowing that, you know, he might be the scapegoat here for the Dolphins. When we're talking big picture, especially when you look at how bad the offensive line is and just kind of how this roster in theory sounded a lot better than it really is. Yeah, Jake, I want to almost, you know, brand this show as our spitballing episode or our wacky Wednesday. We're just all over the place. And I kind of want to throw that out there before, you know, I just started going on a rant rant here. But I mean, I really don't know what it is. I don't think anybody knows. I mean, the reports come from Jason Lock and four. And I remember him adamantly saying the Dolphins were not going to sign a Dominican Sue. I mean, that sticks out in my mind, you know, clear as day. Obviously, Matthew Kanata was the first one to report that. But I mean, I just always go back to that and wonder, you know, what does he know now that, you know, he didn't know back then or who are his sources now? So I really don't know. I mean, some of this is obviously being leaked from Tua Tungvaloa's side. I mean, we heard some of the rumors last year about him starting. I think it was leaked to the media before Fitzpatrick even found out. I mean, you have to think that's coming from his side. And then we'll talk about it later. But the whole Trent Dilfer thing, leaking out this, uh, you know, they're playing human centipede here with the offensive coordinators and the play calling. I mean, and again, I think that probably came out from to a side, but I think at this point, you know, maybe it is a little bit of self-preservation. Maybe these guys are, this thing's starting to leak out because Brian Flores is trying to jockey for position for, you know, maybe more power or this or that, you know, if Brian Flores adamantly wanted Justin Herbert and everyone else denied him, I mean, um, we don't want to put Tua down in this episode, but let's be honest. I think if Tua reaches the plateau or becomes the player that even I expected putting him on that pedestal, I still don't know that we're not going to be that meme constantly looking over our shoulder thinking, what if it was Justin Herbert? Because let's be honest, what he has with that arm, what he can do with some of those things, it's just not part of Tua's skill set. And I think that's what's most frustrating is the Dolphins knew what they were getting with Tua Tagovailoa when they drafted him. They knew that they had to build this offensive line and keep him upright. They knew what type of skill players they had to bring in here. And they basically said, you know what? We don't need any of that. I know better than them, and I'm just going to do it our way and hope things fall together. And, you know, through three weeks, Again, it's not to his fault he's on IR, but it's starting to, you know, raise some concerns and this smoke's just going to continue to get louder. And we know, you know, I, I don't want to say we know how this ends, but I deep down, you know, I kind of feel like same old Dolphins is going to be the end result of this. And we're going to watch our beloved quarterback. Fast and Furious 7 is going to end the same way as Fast and Furious 46. Yeah, we're going to see our beloved uh, Tua, you know, go on to play for who knows where and win five rings while we sit here just wondering what the hell could have happened. That's so Dolphins. Josh, I also find it weird too. I, I've tried to put myself in a situation where I'm going to kind of assume the positives. Uh, and, and a lot of that comes from what Brian Flores says in his press conferences. I always try to spin it in the best way, but it sounds, Josh, like it's always worse. Like I always think, you know, maybe it's a good thing. Maybe, you know, he's doing this, this, and this. I mean, you think back to him saying Tua has bruised ribs, fractured ribs. See how he feels week to week, injured reserve. Maybe it is just Flores just kind of saying whatever he wants to the media. Uh, but I, I'm starting to kind of see this trend here. Yeah, Jake. And, you know, one of the things that you just love to see from a young quarterback, you know, uh, you heard Brian Flores say about it. You know, he wanted to be there with this team. He wanted to travel there and be ne- be on the sideline there. And you saw him taking notes, writing down on his report card, almost looked a little bit like a young Adam Gase, you know, on the sideline, taking notes. <laughs> so, um, oh, Jake. that's horrible. Why? Yeah. Why would you I'm, say that? Because it's so spot on. I'm sorry. I, that to us? <laughs> I, I always try to, you know, try to find humor, make someone chuckle, but they get more upset about it. And, and Josh, especially when your quarterback isn't playing, though, you know, things always the negative stuff always comes out. Everyone still needs to kind of try to drive, uh, you know, you want to release interesting stories. Right. And of course, this is one that's coming out. Uh, I believe this was the athletic Josh. Correct me if I'm wrong, but Alabama's Tua Tagovailoa reportedly recorded a 13 on the Wonderlick test. That was the lowest score by any quarterback in the 2020 NFL draft. 
Bob McGinn of The Athletic reported the update Friday and noted some teams are more concerned than others about the test results. We interviewed him. He's a smart, he's smart enough, but he's an RPO guy. An NFL scout told McGinn, referring to the run pass option. Uh, Steve Sarkeesian tried to do the pro stuff and Tua couldn't handle it mentally. So all he's really done is RPO. Josh, it's kind of a tough situation where we're getting all these leaks. You know, we mentioned a film at the top, just kind of making things seem worse and worse in Miami. Yeah, shout out to level-headed Patrick. He's always in my DMs talking to me. He sent me this. I think it was actually from a Bleacher Report article that might have dated back, you know, okay. before the pre-draft. But I think, you know, I, I joked because I looked it up and yes, he had that 13 on the wonder lick, but then apparently he retested and he had a 19. But I think the biggest reason I, I sent this to you was that quote. I mean, to hear that he was an RPO guy, to hear that the Dolphins are trying to, you know, build that offense around him and do those things that he does well. And, you know, I don't want to say he's not doing it well because I, I feel like when two is out there, he plays pretty good. But the rumors and the rumblings are, you know, that there's some doubt there in Miami. So when you hear something like that mixed with, you know, maybe not the hot start we expected from Tua Tagovailoa, you start to say, OK, maybe, you know, we didn't see these things. But again, I think it's just crazy that we're even having this talk. Um, the whole reason that you, we brought any of this up was because Dave Hyde, you know, the biggest heel in the industry, Great writer for the Sun Sentinel, but he went there yesterday. I mean, he tried to light the world on fire with a nuke, and he basically said, um, did the Dolphins take the wrong quarterback because basically Justin Herbert's already a star. And, Jake, I mean, it's it's so hard not to sit here and compare those two players. I mean, they will forever be linked to one another, but I just think it's unfair when you look at what Justin Herbert did. You know, again, having the greatest, arguably, the season by a rookie quarterback. I guess it was statistically. Wasn't it the greatest season? I mean, he didn't have the wins and losses, but those statistics mm-hmm. were out of this world. But, um, you know, I think it's unfair when you compare the two. But again, when your GM has all the assets, everything lines up in his favor. And again, I, I just don't understand. I mean, again, I love Tua. He was my guy. But for a guy like Chris Greer, who for so many years went to the book with those Bill Parcells commandments, and you know, needed that certain physical attributes from a quarterback he threw that all out the window you know he said you know what we're gonna go with the undersized guy that has some injury concerns and we're gonna build an offense you know that apparently needs to be perfect for him and again I hate that we're talking like this because I think the world of two and I think he's gonna pull it all together and make us all have egg on our face but this is the talk of the town right now and it's hard for us to keep avoiding it and again biggest to a stand in the world over here but um I don't know where I'm going with that so, Josh, the question quickly becomes, when does the urgency set in? You know, I kind of thought against uh, the Raiders that we'd see some sort of fake kick, fake field goal, some something to kind of put the Dolphins in front to kind of set the tone, reset the tone, whatever it may be. When we're talking about the season, where does that urgency come in? Because we think that the, you know, Tua could be back. The earliest is, is week six, right? Uh, the London game against the Jags. That's a get right game if I've ever heard one. But Josh, say they split the Bucks and Colts. Uh, they they obviously, I assume, beat the Colts, lose to the Bucks. Is that would this team be panicking? Would we be concerned? Do you think this team is going to start making a move if the Dolphins split the next two? Uh, because one of the things that really bothered me is, you know, Monday morning. I think I mentioned this in the last show. The the Panthers made a trade for a cornerback, and it wasn't Noah Igbenogany. So I just kind of wonder if if this is a team that you know the front office is going to start to panic. Or if there's a sense of urgency, is there no sense of urgency? I'm like trying to find the pulse and I have no idea where it is. And now there's like five different holes in someone's arm. Yeah, I, Jake, I, I really don't know. But you're, I mean, to the Carolina Panthers point, I mean, you just love that your GM saw 
a talented player go down and an immediate opportunity to bring in someone to fill that spot. And I don't know that the Dolphins will have panic set in. I mean, I think when we all looked at this schedule, if again, if we went two and three throughout those four first five games, you'd feel pretty good about it probably. I mean, maybe that's just the Dolphins in us, but um, you, you saw the, the tweet that we have the second easiest schedule moving forward. So I don't know if panic sat in. I mean, I think we've seen historically, you know, offenses always seem to be a little bit behind defenses, you know, early in the season, but this is beyond being behind the, you know, the defense. The Dolphins offense. This is like in the end zone. (laughs) Yeah. They are straight slugging (laughs) along. And I I just, I guess to me, what they need to do is build on the things that they did so well at the end of that game. And again, it's so cliche, but stop not running the football, you know, late in games. I mean, they had the ball at one point in the, in overtime where they could have drove downfield and scored a touchdown. And it was just pass, pass, pass. I mean, control the clock. You need to run some of those. You need to run the football to open up some of the passing games. So I think we saw a lot of the good that the Dolphins can do. I just uh, I don't know if they can build on. I don't know if with this human centipede, uh, whatever they got going on there in that offense room. I, I don't know, Jake. That is my biggest concern right now is the play calling and those offensive coordinators. This is Advertiser Content brought to you by Frito-Lay. Hello, I'm Chip Murphy here to get you ready for the big tournament. Tonight we'll break down. We break down who will be cutting... Cut! What are you two doing? Sorry, Chip. Prez here got his feathers ruffled when I told him Ruffles has zero chance of winning the title. And I was letting Dip know that she is not taking into account Ruffles' iconic ridges. Guys, it's March. We have to start talking about the tournament. We are. It is the 2023 Frito-Lay Snackin'. We're talking about big-time matchups between Cheetos, Smart Food, Lay's, Sun Chips, and more. Just head to the Frito-Lay Snack Bracket and vote for your favorite chip, pretzel, or dip for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. This sounds great. Keep up the good work. Just go to frito No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends 4-3-2023. Void wherever hit Here's worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. I, I couldn't agree more with you, Josh. And we have some listener questions. We're going to get into those, but but let's discuss the Trent Dilfer thing real quick. He was on the Rich Eyes and so, and he was basically asked, is it time to give up on Tua? The reports about Deshaun Watts and all the other reports coming out. And Dilfer was, uh, you know, on the exact opposite side of the fence saying, you know, you got to have faith in them. They have the right guys around them. It takes time. Um, and then they, the most interesting thing I heard, Josh, and Take this for what it is, especially coming from Trent Dilfer. You see the dots back to that Elite 11 camp. He said that Charlie Fry is going to be the next Sean McVay, and he's the one calling plays. I don't necessarily know if that means uh, just by the fact that he is relaying the plays to Tua, which is 100% true, or there's at least that little bit of doubt where I'm wondering if there's something bigger going on behind the scenes. You wonder, is this the guy that's going to be groomed for a year and become that offensive coordinator? Again, this is the stuff we're you know, kind of caught talking about when your team's one and two uh, and your quarterbacks are, but I, I thought that really stood out to me, Josh. So when you heard that, what kind of, uh, what, where'd your mind go? Um, well, first I just want to throw this out there. Brian Flores was asked today about Charlie Fry sending the play calls in. Flores says there's no change to the offensive play calling operation this week is collaborative. So again, very vague about it. Um, Jake, I think to me, you're right. You know, when they brought in Charlie Fry, saw what he did there in uh, central Michigan uh, and, you know, some of those RPO concepts he brought, he did there, you know, I was excited to see some of that, some of that pre-snap motion. Again, that's what I thought this offense truly needed to, you know, utilize Waddle's skill set, utilize yeah. to a ton of a low, but um, to hear that this might be, you know, he might be the one calling the plays perhaps. I mean, that's, it definitely made me take a step back, but I think more of it was just Trent Dilfer, like you said, 
raising up, you he's know, speaking highly. Bad. No, speaking highly of his elite 11 buddies. I mean, he loves Tua Tonvalo. He's always speaks so highly of him. He obviously called Charlie Fry the next Sean McVay, which is huge. So, I mean, it, I hope to God he's the next Sean McVay. I mean, how awesome would that be? But if you have the next Sean McVay being your quarterback coach and while you have, you know, two struggling co-offensive coordinators, I mean, again, that's a problem in itself. It's it's a long year, Josh. And, and I wish we had the answers because everyone is asking a lot of questions, uh, but we don't. And all we can kind of do is cross our fingers and, and leave it at that. Josh, let's jump into a couple of questions here. We have David at Cheddar 7. Now that the Sun Sentinel is getting in the act of declaring the Dolphins took the wrong quarterback over Herbert, is it still too soon to make this judgment? Seems like they're ready to put him in the Hall of Fame. Uh, Josh, we just spoke about this, but I think the one thing that isn't fair about football and it's kind of reasoning with the logic and the passion is I can't root for Justin Herbert. I have to absolutely hate this guy just because he was chosen. Uh, he wasn't chosen by the dolphins and he's going to be compared with them for the rest of his career. It was kind of like Tannehill with Andrew Luck and RG three Russell Wilson was just on a different level, uh, but you tried to kind of justify what was going on there. And I, it's not really fair, but I have to kind of just kind of stand against Justin Herbert for the sake of being a dolphins fan. I respect the hell out of that. I mean, I'm, I'm kind of in the same light. I mean, I, I was one of those guys that defended Herbert. You know, I would go stay up late at night and showcase all of his games. There were gifs going around the internet of me uh, sleeping in bed with him from some people because I liked him so much, but at the end of the day, you know, Tua was my guy. So I do think we need to temper some of our expectations with Herbert, but when you have him playing out of his mind already, you know, when you have him going toe to toe with Patrick Mahomes, I mean, that is why these teams are ready to put him in the hall of fame, because I mean, honestly, we just have not seen a quarterback do some of the things he done so definitely pump the brakes on that but Jake I don't think that we can sit here and say the Dolphins took the wrong quarterback after 11 or 12 games again I think Herbert's skill set's completely different and again we haven't seen a fully functional offensive line we haven't seen good play calls and we haven't seen Tua fully healthy so I know I'm making a lot of excuses but I'm not ready to close the book on that our next question came from our good pal Marik Brave at mbrave13 Given Flora's history of pulling two in favor of Fitzpatrick last season, how short do you feel Tua's leash will be after he comes back from IR if Jacoby plays well over the next two weeks? Josh, I was listening to part of my take this morning, and they had Rex Ryan on, and he was talking about that Sean Payton still does this, but there were these things called bat games where – you know, you're facing a team you don't really know too, too much about. You guys don't know each other. Say it's a team uh, from the AFC, AFC, what, South? And then all of a sudden, it's a bat game. And basically what that means is you put that opponent's name on the bat and you bring the bat to the game. Basically, you go all out. You be super aggressive. You set the tone. You play your brand of football. And it's like you brought a bat to a fist fight type of thing. That's kind of what it sounded like. And Josh, I think this Colts game is going to be that. And then this is going to become a legitimate conversation. Uh, I think people are going to start wondering, you know, if Tua comes back, say week seven, week eight, he's struggling a little bit. If they're going to want Brissett to come in, man, that's a tough question. I think just based on history, we have to say that the Dolphins will use every guy on their roster. If that means Brissett's going to throw the ball, rub the ball, whatever it may be. Um, I wouldn't doubt that Flores would try to play them both, but Hey, you know, I'm going to be under the impression that two is going to win this team, you know, 10 games. So we won't have to worry about that. Yeah, I'm with you. I mean, I think we even joked before on a podcast, you know, I think a lot of people are going to realize Brissett's almost up there with Fitzpatrick. And just because Flores, you know, had that quick leash or was quick to pull the reins before. I mean, I, I was a concern of mine. And I'll be honest, when I saw him come in during that first game against the Patriots to run that sneak, I mean, that was my first thought. Like, what the hell did Tua do already that Flores was pulling the, the leash from? So I, again, I think, like you said, with history being the way it is, which Kobe having a good understanding of this offense and perhaps what he does over these next few weeks, 
I do think if Tua struggles, you know, Brian Flores will do Brian Flores things. But part of that's the reason, you know, we're in this situation. Part of that's the reason why there is so much doubt over the quarterback position. Maybe some of the reason why Tua's confidence isn't there, but this is the NFL. So we'll stop making excuses. The next question came from our good pal, Ian Carter at Dolphins underscore Carter. He asked, do you think we really need to be concerned about the ability of our coaches, including our head coach? There's got to be doubt. When you see how poorly this offense is playing, you get you got to have some concerns, especially when you think about the fact that Brian Flores has now had four offensive coordinators uh, in three years. Uh, but we also have to kind of have a vision of what Brian Flores' teams were in the past. And that's kind of why I think that the Dolphins might, you know, turn it around at least a little bit uh, and remain a competitive team. It's because those uh, penalties that can easily get cleaned up. It's, it's these silly mistakes the Dolphins had it, you know, the, a lot of, you know, times the bills scored, it was big gash plays. I mean, Peyton Barber, big gash plays. You can kind of clean those up and it's kind of a huge point that one play can make NFL games or kind of change that tone. I mean, we can, we need to question it. I think offensive coordinator is a, is a concern, but you know, it's not ready to jump ship or anything like that. I still think Flores is a, a great defensive mind and, and I'm pretty cool with him being a head coach, but at the same time, I can kind of question the urgency and say that I, I'm kind of getting a little sick of just seeing him with his arms crossed, having a pouty face on the sideline for uh, 60 minutes every Sunday. Yeah, I mean, again, you're one of the realists here. I continue to say, you know, this feels different, this and that. And you continue to say, you know, there were so many regimes before that felt this way. But uh, again, just what we've seen since Flores came here, you know, how well he's transformed this entire program. I, I would be very sad to see him, you know, then move on. But I do think you have to be a little bit concerned, especially about the offensive side of it. We know what he tried to do his first year, bringing in Jim Caldwell to oversee things. You know, that didn't work out for whatever reason. He fired Chad O'Shea. Then you bring in Chan Gailey. Chan Gailey doesn't look so bad anymore, Jake, does he? With what we seen throughout these first yes, three weeks. No, okay. no, 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 yes, he does. <laughs> okay, so so he does. But I, I mean, the point is, he's so well on the defensive side. They bring in all these acorns. Mm -hmm. They try everything they can to, to fix things there. But um, I, I don't know, Jake. I think part of this might be an ego thing. I think maybe Brian Flores is just from that mindset, that New England background where my defense is this good, can go out there and win with every anyone. And, you know, he, he proved over the first two seasons he was pretty successful that way. But if this team wants to take the next step and compete with the Buffalo Bills, the Kansas City Chiefs, and some of those other teams, they're going to have to fix this offense. So definitely concerned about the offensive side of the football, but I'm, I'm definitely not ready to close the book on this one. And finally, Josh, from our boy Rob Caruth, R-O-B-C-A. Caruth! R-R-U-T-H on Twitter. Be sure to give him a follow. Josh, why has this team not been able to figure out how to produce a good offensive line for what it seems as decades? I mean, you can't sit here and say they're not spending valuable resources and top picks because they're doing that. I mean, I don't know, Jake. It goes back to me and rest in peace. But ever since Tony Sperano has been here, I mean, that offensive line has been in shambles, hasn't it? He was that guru that kind of fixed things here and he had that strong running game. And ever since then, it kind of disappeared. So um, I want to say maybe it's because they're not spending the money that they have. They're not going out there and and opening up the checkbook and getting outbid for a, a Joe Tooney or some of these other guys in free agency. I mean, you bring in him, you, you fix some of these guys on the offensive line with those high priced proven veteran free agents and we could be talking a whole different story and you know uh, to twofold paying Eric Flowers to go elsewhere to play I mean that's part of the reason this offensive line still in shambles so I guess ignorance would be the thing maybe giving up on some of these players too quick but also not opening up the checkbook and spending for these known commodities instead of going out there and getting an Austin Jackson or some of these projects I mean uh, breaking news Jake I don't know if you saw this but I think the Giants just signed Isaiah Wilson so it won't be a matter of time before he's headed to the Hall of Fame as well Josh You've seen all the Star Wars, right? Even the, the newest three? 
yeah, just don't, no question or no Q&A. No, don't ask me any of these characters or anything, please. I think it was episode eight or nine, and I'm just going to get yelled at this, but there's a scene where Kylo Ren's basically yelling more, more kind of overkill yes. with these yeah. big lasers. That's what the Dolphins need to do with the offensive line. I mean, I think we should have gotten a hint when, you know, you kind of rely on an injury-prone Jake Long, incredible athlete, very talented, an injury-prone Mike Pouncey, incredible athlete, uh, but you need the depth. You need guys who are ready to step in. That's why I was so excited to see this unit with like uh, DJ Fluker back there. And it seemed like there's going to be a lot more depth on this team. And that just simply isn't the case. They're relying on uh, just a few guys to play at a position where it's tough. It's incredibly physical. It's incredibly hard. You're going to get injured. And that just doesn't seem like the proper way to play football. Uh, So for me, Josh, I think it's just you got to keep throwing at the dartboard. Even when you get the bullseye, you got to keep throwing at that dartboard. And does that mean they should have drafted Jalen Waddle at six? No, I don't necessarily think that, but I mean, they should have done something insane maybe this year, maybe last year. I know they, you know, Robert Hunt, Solomon Kinley, Austin Jackson, that's three guys, but I'd love to see some sort of a draft where it's, you know, four or five, six guys, just straight up offensive line, or, you know, every year you're doing two or three offensive linemen until you have the stack. I mean, Josh, Growing up in Western Massachusetts, I remember seeing, um, this is a lovely reference to make, but Patriots Super Bowl champion commercials, and it was just them eating Dunkin' Donuts bagels, and it was the offensive line wearing the rings. And these were the biggest, ugliest guys in the world. And that's why the Patriots dynasty is what it was. Yes, they have a great quarterback. Yes, they have a great coach, but they were able to protect them. That offensive line always seems to be one of New England's strengths, and it's because they continue to invest. They develop those seventh round picks undrafted guys. I think it was like 2016, Josh, where they're starting like three undrafted guys, two at guard and one at center. And it was good enough. Right. So I think it just really starts at the foundation and just continuing to bring guys in to get better. Inject Dolphins offensive line and eating Dunkin' Donuts on TV into my veins, Jake. Please do. Um, you know, maybe we should maybe we should have taken the easy way out and just said Chris Greer is the issue, right? I mean, everyone's pointing the finger at him. He's been here for, you know, two decades. I mean, he had a lot to do with the evaluation of some of these players. So, you know, maybe Chris Greer's seat is getting a little hot. Maybe he is the reason to blame for the offense's woes, the offensive line and things like that. But, um, I, again, I don't know how you can move on from your general manager. I mean, that causes a whole different situation where you're plugging and playing things. Let, let's just win the rest of the year. You know, let's just turn this thing around and realize that Dolphins teams like in the that. past, especially under Flores, I mean, they get off to slow starts all the time. I mean, they've gotten off to slow starts before. Uh, there's no reason why they can't turn this around, but I do understand, you know, why a lot of Dolphin fans, including you and I, feel that sense of doom and gloom and just like, okay, it's year three, same old damn thing's going to happen, rinse and repeat. Yeah, and it's tough when there's only one game a week and it's that just lingers around you for an entire week and you just stew on that and it seems worse and worse and worse because nothing changes in a day, right? We need to wait two, three, four weeks before we legitimately have a good idea of what this team looks like. I mean, are we going to see Brandon Jones and Javon Holland both get 15-yard penalties every game? No, I, I don't really think so. But as of right now, this team makes all these silly penalties. They need all the help in the world, but but that's just because there's no games going on. Yeah, and I started to laugh because I was going to go back to that Flores joke about the fart lingering on the sideline and say that's kind of how it feels every <laughs> yes. time the dolphin, Dolphins lose. But I, I don't know, Jake. A week-long fart, the Dolphins yeah, experience. It just That just sums up being a Dolphins fan. <laughs> well, Josh, I think we did a little bit of a better job of being more positive. I don't think it's 
you know, early enough to, uh, I don't think it's late enough to bury this team. Like it's a football after a big loss or anything like that. I understand the concerns and I hope you're able to present them in in a more interesting way than just kind of saying, no, you're wrong. Uh, how dare you not want Justin Herbert and everything's a disaster, yada, yada, yada. So thank you guys for joining in with us. Uh, how he's still tweeting out gifts at 11 o'clock at night, sometimes midnight. So follow him at H O U T Z. Uh, I can be found at J Mendel 94 and Josh will be back Friday with a preview. And I want to say this right now. I'm stealing it from part of my take. I'm stealing it from Rex Ryan. I always attribute whoever I take these things from Sunday is the back game. I see the dolphins walking into that stadium with a bat after these last two weeks. Let's make this the cactus Jack back in. Let's wrap that thing in barbed wire and go out there, turn this season around and go two and two. Jake will be back on Friday for our preview show of the Indianapolis Colts. For Finside Radio, the Jake and Josh Show, I am Josh Houts. That's Jake Mendel. We'll talk to you next time. That was Finsider Radio, part of the Finsider.com and the SB Nation Network. Miami has the Dolphins, the greatest football team. We take the ball from goal to goal like no one's ever seen. We're in the air, we're on the ground, we're always in control. And when you say Miami, you're talking Super Bowl, because we're the Miami Dolphins. We're the Miami Dolphins, Miami Dolphins, Miami Dolphins number one. Yes, we're the Miami Dolphins.